It's good to have you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Brother Ken, I'm, I'm, some of you kind of look like you're down in the dumps. You really do. You're sad bunch to look at this morning. That's better. That's a lot better. I'm so glad you're here. We got a lot of folks out. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're traveling. I hope they're traveling. I hope they're not sick. I know some are. But I'm so glad you're here. And for a few moments as we worship him in song, let's worship him in his word. I want to lead us in a word of prayer before we turn to our text found in the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew this morning. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. I thank you for the hope that we have in our wonderful Savior. I thank you, Father, you're with us when we're up and when we're down. I thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose and a plan. And, Father, I thank you that you continually to work in our lives. Be with us, Lord, this day. If there's a friend among us today, Lord, who's never trusted you as their Savior, give them the courage to trust you today. Lord, if there's a believer who's gotten far from you, I pray you'll renew their spirit, renew their commitment to you on this day. Be with us now, Lord. Speak to us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about a a message entitled, The Sidetrack Saint Who Found His Way Back. Isn't it wonderful to know that sometimes, though, though you and I as believers can kind of wander off the path, we can kind of get distracted and away from God, that there's a way that we can come back, that God is there to help us find our way. And I think one of the encouraging things in Scripture as we look at this passage this morning is that this sidetrack saint was the best of the best. He was one of the three of our Lord's nearest disciples. He was one who would have one of the greatest impact on the early church. And yet even if the best of the best can sometimes get sidetracked off the right path and a little bit outside the will of God, then when it happens to us, maybe we realize that if God can help them back, He can help us back when we lose our way. Our passage begins in Matthew chapter 26, beginning with verse 30. Matthew chapter 26. The scene is that where our Lord has just had the Lord's Supper with His disciples. He faces the cross. One of the things that I want us to pick up on this morning is what this disciple goes through. What happens in his life. How he gets away from God and how he finds his way back. Beginning in the 26th chapter, verses 30 and following. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written. I will strike the shepherd, the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And and Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of me, I will never, or I never will. Tell you the truth, Jesus answered, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me. Not once, not twice, but three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. What happens 
when faith falters. What happens when we lose heart and get distracted and get away from God? There are different things that cause this, that cause us to stray. Sometimes it's temptations that lure us away from God. We get caught up in the things of this world that we know God is not pleased with. And we somehow think that we can be caught up in that sin and be right with God at the same time. But we soon discover that when we get into sin, we get out of fellowship with God. It's kind of like that family relationship. They don't quit loving you. They don't quit caring about you. But when you get crossed up, the fellowship's broken. There's an angry bond, so to speak, there. There is a broken relationship there. Sometimes it is temptation that lures us. Sometimes it is trials that drive us away from God. It is a trial here that Peter will face. Folks, everything is on the line. His family, his life, they're fixing to kill Jesus. He realizes that. And if he gets caught up in it, he will probably be next on the hit list. And many of them did become soon on the hit list. James was one of them. Sometimes it is trials that lure us. Sometimes it is, if you will, the good things that take precedence over the leading of the Spirit of God in our life. Sometimes we get away from God not by a trial, not, if you will, by a temptation, but by the good things of life. They're so good that we just kind of put God on the back burner and say, wait a minute, Lord, i got something else I want to do with my life. I've got something else I want to make number one in priority in my world. We get distracted by the good things. How did he get away from God and how do we get off course? But more importantly, how do we get back? How do we come back to that close fellowship of living and walking with God? There are a couple of things I want to call attention to you this morning. First of all, there is the promise, the false promise of pride. Peter stood on his own pride. He stood under the conviction that there's nothing that can turn me back from Jesus. There's nothing that can make me put the Lord as secondary He stood in the pride of his own ability and his own strength. Many of us as believers say, Lord, I'm the same way. I heard nothing make me turn my back on the Lord. So I want to ask you a couple of questions to think about this morning. Have you stuck by him in your job? Have you stuck by Jesus in your job? Have you been honest and faithful to your employer or to your employees? Have you been a Christian example to those around you? Or have you somehow divorced your work life from your spiritual life? I once read about an individual who had been called in the office by his boss and his foreman said, we've got a a promotion opportunity for you. We want to put you in shipping. This picture is portrayed uh, in a movie that came out a while back. A movie about prayer. A man comes in the office, and his boss 
And his immediate supervisor tell him, we'd like to promote you to shipping, to put you over the shipping of all of our products. But we need you to, to doctor the books a little bit. We need you to do a few things that are not quite honest. Can we count on you to do the doctoring we need done to get the credit we need to get? And he was a deeply committed believer. He didn't want to say anything up front. He needed the promotion. He needed the money. He needed the opportunity. They said, go home and think about it tonight. And come back tomorrow and we'll sit down and talk about it. This, we want you to consider this job. Can you meet our requirements? He went home that night. He met with his wife and he said, "Hon, this is what they've asked me to do. We need the money. I need the job. But by the grace of God, I can't do that. But I know it's wrong in the eyes of my Lord. What are we going to do? She reinforced his conviction. She said, you're going to do the right thing. So that next day he came in, he met with his boss, and he met with his supervisor. And they said, well, are you ready to take your new job? And he said, sir, I I could use that job. I need that job. But in all honesty, I'm a Christian. And you've asked me to do some things that I know are not right. And I'm sorry, sir, but I've got to turn it down. I'm going to tell you 90% of the time, I'm just guessing figure-wise. That probably is the end of that job. You know what I'm saying? But on this occasion, his boss and his foreman looked at him and he said, Well, then, son, the job is yours. He said, But, sir, I don't, I don't understand. I thought I made it clear to you. I'm not willing to do what you've asked me to do. And he said, That's exactly what we wanted to hear. We needed to know we've got somebody down there honest that we can count on. So you pass the test. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The question is, have we stood by the Lord in our job, in our daily life? Do we stand on the promise of our pride? Or do we stand in deep prayerful conviction before the Lord? Have you stuck by Him in your home? Do you acknowledge Him through the blessings that meal, through the prayers and devotions of your home? Have we been faithful to our Lord in these things? I remember a young man some years ago said, I heard my dad pray at church. I heard my dad pray at the table. But it wasn't until I heard my dad pray in the barn for me. That I knew how much God meant to him. Have we stuck by him in our home life? Have we stuck by him? Have we acknowledged him through discretion in our homes? Do we show discretion in the things you let your children watch? And for that matter, the things they watch, you watch in your home. Have we stuck by Him in our home, in our moral beliefs and behaviors? Do you acknowledge Him by the language you speak? Or does profanity, criticism, and lewdness spoil your speech and taint your home? Honestly, have we really stuck by Him? Is your home a heaven 
in which to find God's rest or hell on earth to endure? Have we stuck by him in our homes? There's the promise of pride. Lord, I won't let you down. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of our behavior. Have you stuck by him in your church? Have you been faithful in your attendance, in your consistency to give to God, in your personal service? Have we stuck by him? We all have to ask ourselves that question. Peter said, Lord, I won't let you down, but he did. How many times have I said, Lord, I won't let you down, but I have. Have we stuck by him? By consistency. Your kids don't just need to hear that you believe. Guys, they need to see it. They need to see it, if you will, by your prayers, by your service. And so that's why it's important. Maybe if you're a deacon and you go to visit somebody in in the hospital that's sick, you take one of the kids with you. Now, I don't mean a preschooler. They probably don't need to be around them germs. But you take someone along. You let them see you doing a work of ministry. You carry food to somebody's house because they're sick. So you load up little Billy or Jane or Mary or whoever it is and say, Come on, we're going to minister to somebody. Let them see what you're doing for Jesus. Let it have an impact on their life. Have we stuck by him in our church, in our service? Peter stood on his pride, but not on his prayerful commitment. Secondly, there is the problem or detriment, if you will, of an undisciplined life. We must discipline ourselves to to walk with God. We do it through consistent prayer through constant worship, through the study of God's Word, and through faithful service. Just four basic elements. We get up and we worship God. We take time to pray. Folks, sometimes as believers, the only time we pray is when we sit down to thank God for what we're about to eat. That's not spiritually healthy. We need to talk to God in prayer to prepare ourselves for what we're about to face. In chapter 26 of Matthew, verses 40 and 41, look what happens. Our Lord is out there. He's fighting the battle. He's trying to deal with the fact he faces the cross. And he comes back for encouragement from his disciples. And he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for for one hour? He asked Peter, watch. Now listen to this carefully. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Two things. Watch and pray. A disciplined spiritual life recognizes the significance of being careful, watching what we get involved in, what we do. And secondly, a consistency to pray to receive the empowerment of God. If you don't talk to what did you, what did Scripture say? You have not because you ask not. It is prayer that empowers us to face life. We talk to God about it. We let God help us with it. There's the detriment 
the problem of an undisciplined life. An undisciplined life leads to the lack of prayer. That's what was lacking for Peter. He wasn't prepared for what he was about to face. When you haul something on a trailer and the tires are kind of low, you run and you fill them up with air. Why do you do that? Because that helps them to shoulder the weight that you're about to put on it. When you and I are about to face the weight of trials and troubles, we go to God in prayer that He might fill our spirit, that we might be able to face the trial before us. There's the lack of prayer in an undisciplined life. There's the lack of perspective. When Jesus was attacked, it was Peter in verses 51 through 53 who draws his sword, who takes off the ear of the priest we talked about a while back. But the point here is this. Without prayer, there was a lack of perspective about life. Guys, we face issues, we face trials, and if we don't take to God, talk to God about them, that He might give us the perspective to put it in, we get totally out of socket. We get overwhelmed. Peter was overwhelmed. He didn't know what to do for Jesus. Jesus put it back in perspective. He said, Peter, I don't need your sword. All I got to do is ask God and 72,000 angels coming down here to help me. I don't need your sword. Do you know what he needed? He needed the fellowship of his friends. He didn't need a sword. He just needed them to stand by him. Jesus needs us to reveal to the world that we are his friend. Now, kids, listen to me for a minute. How do I do that? At school, I believe you take a moment and you say your blessing before you eat. Don't make a big show. You had not got to do anything loud. But just take a moment, bow your head and whisper. Because when you do that, you say to a lost friend around you, Jesus is important in my life. You are a friend to the Savior. When you refuse to be a part of the bullying of someone else, you say to your peers around you, Jesus is important in my life. I'll not be a party to this behavior. You befriend your Lord. When you refuse to smoke their drugs or drink their alcohol, you say to them, I befriend my Lord. I refuse to be a party to this. When you walk away from the filthy jokes, when you refuse to be a part, of the vulgar activity that goes on around you. You say, I befriend my Savior. I refuse to be a party to these actions. And what has become so common in our day to day. When you refuse to take those picture selfies. That reveal things about you that the world shouldn't see. You say, I befriend my Lord. And I'll not be a party to that behavior. We lose perspective when we have an undisciplined life. Thirdly, there is a lack of power. The greatest danger to the New Testament church in the 20th century is the undisciplined lives of the people of God. We need to discipline ourselves to be faithful in our worship, to communicate with God in prayer, to study His Word, and to faithfully serve Him. Where he can use us. You say to the Lord, you know I love you. 
But if we don't read our Bible, we don't worship, we don't take God's Word seriously, what kind of love is that? Until you genuinely invest yourself in a serious effort to apply the truth of the Word of God to your life, you will not know the joy of your salvation. It is a genuine commitment. Christianity is more caught than taught. It is not a philosophy to be debated, but a life to be shared. That's Maybe where we miss the boat more than anywhere else. It is sharing it on a practical level with the world around us. That's the challenge. Someone has said, at best you reproduce yourselves in the lives of your children, but not with formal religion, religious training. Because that training can never outweigh the weakness of a weak spiritual life. They've got to see it in our lives. There is the burden of betrayal. You know what happens next. Peter makes his way there. They see him. They confront him. One says, oh, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. He goes to another spot. Someone else sees him and says, certainly you're one of his disciples. You're a Galilean. That gives you away. And on that third occasion found in Luke chapter 22, verses 60 through 62, I'll not read them for the sake of time. In that passage, the Bible says, Peter swore, I never, I don't know the man. It was at that very moment, the Bible says that Jesus looked up and looked in the face of Peter. Don't you know that broke his heart? The burden of betrayal. We see his convicting guilt, his tears of repentance. But we will see his love rekindled. Peter went fishing after that. You know, I felt like Peter felt like I'm through. I'm done. I messed up. God can't use me. God don't need me anymore. There are too many of God's saints, too gifted, sitting on the sideline because they messed up 10 years ago and they can't get over it. Folks, we have to put that behind us. Pick up where we are and move on for the Savior. So Jesus looked Peter up. He said, you go tell my disciples and Peter. And I, think he, I, didn't, I don't think he was saying Peter wasn't one of his disciples. He was saying, and remind Peter he's one of them and tell him to go meet me in Galilee. When Jesus came to him in the book of John, when Peter recognized him, he dove in the water off that boat, swam to the shore. And there Jesus and Peter had a man-to-man talk. Here is that man-to-man talk between Jesus and Peter that needed to take place and finally does. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Three times, like he denied him, three times he'll be challenged. Be faithful to me, if you do. Feed my sheep, feed the little ones, feed my lambs. He goes on to challenge him not only to to feed them, but to shepherd them, help them grow. 
there is the promise of personal commitment. Do you love me more than these? Now, what was these? I've thought about that. Was it the other disciples? I don't think so. What was it? The security of a steady job? Was it the reasonable comfort of the world? Was it the lack of fear of what might happen to him if he followed Jesus? I believe it was those things and a thousand more. Do you love me more than those things out there? Then serve me faithfully. Peter looked over at John and said, Lord, what about him? Don't be distracted by the blessings of others. He looked at him and he said, if I want him to live till I come back, what's that to you? (laughs) Don't get distracted by the blessings of others. You just serve me where I've placed you. That's all the Lord has. That's all he ever asked. Peter, the sidetracked saint, was back. And we're fixing to see it. Because when the day of Pentecost happened, he steps forward with courage and dynamic commitment. And he preaches the gospel. And when the smoke had settled and the dust had cleared, so to speak, 3,000 people he came to a knowledge of Christ. He's back. Sometimes you and I get distracted. We get away from God. We don't quit loving Him. We just kind of find ourselves on the back burner, not living for Him. Are you back? You can be. So can I. Oh, and what happens in the world when we are back, ready to serve Him and do the best we can, that's all he asked from me. And that's all he asked from you. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your people this day. Lord, they're here this morning because they love you. They want to serve you. But, Father, even though sometimes we are present in body, we're absent in spirit. Lord, let us commit ourselves to be your faithful disciples the best we know how. And, Lord, Lord, though we realize we, like Peter, will not always get it right, give us the courage not to trust in ourselves, but prayerfully to lean upon you as your faithful servants. In Christ's name, Lord, we pray.